Thanks, music team. Great. As always, good morning. How many people out there are going to make some lame attempt at giving something up for the New Year, New Year's resolutions? My uh, sales manager where I work has a sign on his desk that says, I'd give up chocolate, but I'm not a quitter. <laughs> it's the best encouragement I can give you on that. Something we didn't mention, uh, in two weeks, January 12th, Saturday morning, be a men's breakfast downstairs. Be the first one I'm aware of in some time. And I think it's going to, we're probably eating time about 8.45. There'll be some more detail next week on it. And the subject matter sort of brought itself to the surface this past week or so. It's actually something that's on my mind and probably on yours often enough. The church is the pillar and support, the pillar and buttress of the truth. There is no institution, there is no body on earth better equipped to speak to the issue of gender than the church. So the topic will be on uh, manhood, masculinity, what it means to be a man. In probably a half hour's time, we'll only be able to work so much into that topic, but to get us thinking, and that because part of our testimony of the church is in the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. And the way that our culture discusses gender these days is not only leaving sort of men out of the discussion, but women out of the discussion as well, even though there's a lot of discussion going on. So, uh, men, young men, old men, middle men, all men, I encourage you to come and find out why you demand in a couple of weeks. Our sermon this morning is from the book of Colossians, the text. Colossians 1.17 sermon I've titled, Another Trip Around the Sun, and the text is, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The following are from an article I found called, 21 Wonderful Things in Life We Take for Granted. I won't give you all 21. Number one, being at the top of the food chain. I'm on, my way to, <clears throat> I'm on my way to work now and I'm not worried about a panther eating me. Number two, water. Nations that have ample access to clean water, endless supplies of water, rarely seem to understand how important this is. Number three, the number of different drinks available at 7-Eleven. Trust me, if there was a nuclear war, or a zombie apocalypse, you'd really finally be able to appreciate it. We've come a long way in the last few hundred years. Four, pulling the plastic off new electronics. Five, the cool side of the pillow. Six, having a good hair day. Seven, the feeling of new socks. And the last one I'll just offers fingers. Imagine a snake. He must get so frustrated. I really want to pick that item up, but I don't want to put it in my mouth. 
Those are pretty good. My favorite one is the feeling of new socks. A few weeks ago, my company hosted our annual Christmas party. The sales manager, as he typically does, arranged ahead of time to have gift cards to present to one or two individuals. These are people that make very little noise throughout the year. They are not seen much in the whole vast configuration of things. But they work behind the scenes, as it were, to make a difference for the company. They are faithful. And without their diligence, everyone else would experience measurable misery in the performance of their duties. Recognition of that employee is also intended to engender more gratitude for that person on a regular basis. Well, for the last 31,536 seconds, the Lord Jesus Christ has held all things together as our terrestrial sphere, Earth, has made its annual orbit around the sun. He has also kept each of us in Christ. In Christ. He has kept each of us in Christ. In Christ. Each of those seconds bears witness to the exertion of the Lord's power and the satisfaction of His will and His good pleasure. The text here in Colossians, after telling us that Christ created all things and that all things were created through Him and for Him, tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ was before all things and in Him all things hold together. All things. A preacher once said, all means all, and that's all all means. Well, in Scripture, all doesn't always mean all, but in this case it certainly does. All things physical and all things spiritual, as the text goes on to say, Jesus holds it all together. He maintains the spiritual and the physical laws. As the author to Hebrews says, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus even keeps the law of logic in place. So we don't become altogether stupid and anti-intellectual. He says it, and it is so. And He does so because it reflects His essence and character, as I will continue to elaborate. R.C. Sproul well said, If there is one maverick molecule in all the universe, then God is not sovereign. And if God is not sovereign, He is not God. And I dare say, both natural or so-called general revelation and divine revelation uphold this truth. This morning, I intend to recognize the work and the pleasure and the character of our Lord whose providential care is often unseen, unrecognized, and perhaps even taken for granted. Earth is God's elect planet. And the church is God's elect people. And it's God's good pleasure to ensure the successful orbit of both around the sun. Neither the earth nor the church will escape the Lord's gravitational pull. And there are very curious similarities between the record of nature, as God has so ordered it, and the record of regenerate humankind, as God has so ordered it, as they complete this continual orbit around the sun. 
I'm going to share some scientific observation and divine revelation, both of which are grounded in the nature of God. We can comprehend things about the godness of God from nature, can't we? Romans 1 attests to that as well. Also, recall the disciples' reaction to the Lord calming the storm. Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Before getting into those specifics, let us first begin with God. God is not great because he does amazing things in creation. God is great. Period. The creation declares his greatness. Creation bears witness to the glory of God, as the the psalmist poetically states. God takes pleasure in his creation. Very important. God takes pleasure in his creation. This must be foremost in our thinking. God does what he does in nature and in regeneration because it pleases God to express his character. When God saves, when God maintains, when God upholds the universe by the word of his power, he does so because it pleases him to express his character in the keeping thereof. Somehow, the Trinity takes great delight in self-expression and in bearing witness about one another. God the Father expresses His pleasure in God the Son. God the Son seeks to glorify God the Father. God the Holy Spirit longs to reveal God the Son and God the Father, which He does by regenerating lost sinners whose sinful lives would otherwise never see the glory of God. All three persons of the Godhead are involved in creation and regeneration. Now, if this sounds blatantly Trinitarian, you can blame Brother Todd. His desire to teach on the Trinity has further provoked my desire to think of God as the triune being God is. And this we must do because we cannot, we should not, and we cannot think of God except in the way God has revealed God. Three in one. Tuesday night. Sturbridge. Be there. The Holy Holy Spirit reveals in the 104th Psalm that God rejoices in the work of His hands. God does not tire of His works or take the works of His hands for granted because those works, they express God's character. We can grow tired of so many things that we do. And we can even sort of feel a little bogged down at times in the monotony of things. Not so God. Because everything that he's doing is an expression of his character. By the way, everything we do is an expression of our character as well. Listen to this by the late G.K. Chesterton. Talking about God reveling in the works of his hands. Now, it's my responsibility always, if I mention somebody outside of mainstream Christian thought, and G.K. Chesterton being a Roman Catholic to say that be a discerning reader if you read things by G.K. Chesterton. I would certainly say you could read his book, Orthodoxy, from which I'm quoting, which is a really powerful work. Um, But you've got to eat your Wheaties that morning, (laughs) because he's, he's, he's big in the head, you know. He says, quote, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, 
Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again! And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Perhaps a little ethereal there, but Chesterton is on to something. God exalts in what he does and who he is. And that is great news for sinners, for when he determines to reveal his son and bring conviction of sin and repentance and salvation, he is doing so because primarily it gives him great pleasure to express triune love. That's why God saves us, first and foremost. Because it gives him great pleasure to express inner Trinitarian love through the creation. And that's why Jesus said, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But we need to think about that. God rescues us with all His godness. Little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Remember that when you're kicking yourself or kicking somebody else. A little better at kicking somebody else. Okay. I said that earth is God's elect planet and the church is God's elect people. As such, each is privileged and for reasons they have in common. How often have you heard the universe is so big there must be alien life out there somewhere? But this is the main reason people give why there must be life on other planets. Right? As if the size of the universe is the main feature which demands there be life somewhere else. I even had one man say to me, I believe there are thousands of Jesuses throughout the universe. Sounds good on the one hand, if indeed what is needed for life is available everywhere in the universe. Complex life, though, can only obtain in the narrowest of of parameters. In his book, The Creator in the Cosmos, Christian astrophysicist Hugh Ross writes, quote, There are presently 123 fine-tuned design characteristics that make physical life on earth possible and sustainable. It is thought that each of these 123 parameters is just right. For any one of them, it could be said that any more or any less would present serious problems for life. The list includes volcanic activity, seismic activity, oceans to continents ratios, frequency and extent of ice ages, gravitational interaction with the moon, parent star age, atmospheric electric discharge rate, quantity and extent of forest and grass fires. Increases or decreases in any of these levels for any of these present degrees would present a crisis for life on earth, but they don't because the Lord Jesus holds all things together. We live on an elect planet. Also, it is an axiom of cosmology, the study of the cosmos, that the physical laws and constants that apply in one place in the universe apply to all places in the universe. A scientist says it very well. We can discover truths that 
hold throughout the universe simply by taking a representative local sample. Okay? In other words, a fool on Earth would be a fool on Venus. So what we learn about what is needed for our life in the planet in the Milky Way galaxy applies to the entire universe, and it turns out that we indeed are an elect planet in that sense. Now, how often have you heard someone say, there can't just be one true religion or just one way to God? Debating a woman in her TV audience, Oprah Winfrey once said, with all the people in the world, there couldn't possibly be one way. Does God care about their heart? Or does God care if you call his son Jesus? Well, as it turns out, not only is earth God's footstool, as the scripture says, it also turns out that Jesus indeed claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, not a way, a truth, and a life. There may be many religions that look like they have some truth, and many indeed do have elements of truth. But they can no more bring about regeneration in a man or woman than a spot of ice on Mars can satisfy the expectation of complex life forms. A regenerate person is a complex thing. Hebrews chapter 9 through 10 seem to make a pretty good biblical case for the suggestion that Jesus died once for all sinners and he did so only in one place. And since all of creation suffers from the fall, Romans 8, and since Jesus came to earth, lived, died, and rose again, then ascended to the right hand of the Father, I take my stand there. We are an elect people who live on an elect planet, both of which reveal God's pleasure. Here is something else altogether fascinating about earth, and which finds spiritual expression in the redeemed mind. In their book, The Privileged Planet, Guillermo Gonzalez and J.W. Richards write, quote, We occupy the best overall place for observation in the Milky Way galaxy, which is itself the best type of galaxy to learn about stars, galactic structure, and distant universe simultaneously. If it were not for our unique location, we would not have the capacity to discover that our universe is traceable back to an, ex- to an exquisitely designed transcendent creation event. So not only is Earth uniquely uniquely suited for life in our galaxy, Earth also affords the best view for discovering numerous truths about the cosmos, truths that reveal the glory of God. In other words, God made sure that we could see the glory of God in creation. We have seats on the 50-yard line, so to speak, where we're seated two rows behind the Red Sox dugout. God's elect planet comes with the best view. Now, Over in the spiritual dimension, the elect people of God exclusively have divine revelation. Things not available to the lost. The best spiritual view, as it were. 1 Corinthians 2, 9-12, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the the depths of God, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from a God. We might understand the things freely given us by God. And it's unfortunate that many folks quote this verse to describe the hereafter. Right? Right? They'll use this verse to say, oh, the scripture says, I has not seen, here is not heard, the things that wait for us when we blah, 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 blah. 
Well, I, I am sure that we can't begin to comprehend some of those things. However, this verse does not teach that. The text interprets itself. It says, these things God has revealed to us through His Spirit. God has revealed these things. What no other eye, what the unregenerate eye, what the unregenerate ear, what the unregenerate mind, what the unregenerate heart, what the unregenerate soul does not see, it cannot see. The hymn says, Though the eyes of sinful man thy glory may not see. We have the best place in Christ to see the truth about God and all other contingent spiritual realities. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of the Spirit. We have the Scripture, and the Scripture has us. We have enough to keep us absolutely immersed in the Godness of God. One of the things our small group is dealing with, is, I've called it themes and theology, so every couple of weeks we pick up a new theme, and we're on the theme of joy. And I'm thinking as I'm going through with it, all these things, there's no reason in the universe... Why, I should not have joy in Christ, who holds all things together, and in whom all things are held together, and yet, at times I go without joy. Our, of our galaxy sun, those authors write, the star must form at just the right time in the history of the galaxy. Only stars in the very middle of their middle-aged phase manifest subdued enough flaring to make advanced life sustainable. It'd be neat to be able to understand how that all works. But interestingly, Jesus was a middle-aged man when he died, given the average lifespan was between 60 and 70 in the Roman Empire, if you remove the extremes of infant mortality. Galatians 4, 4-6 reads, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to, re- to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, cosmologically and soteriologically, that is to say, in space and in salvation, we need just the right Son at just the right time. Another feature of Earth, not available with any other galactic real estate, is the composition of our atmosphere. There are several near-Earth objects floating around up here in space all the time, most of which do not threaten Earth, some do. Quote, Had our atmosphere been completely cloud-covered or translucent, we would not have known of impact threats until it was too late, nor would we have developed a space program. Now, I don't have the time to go through all the benefits that having a space program have conveyed upon us with respect to technologies and medicines and even the clothes that we wear. But God did that for us. Jesus keeps our atmosphere as it needs to be. There are those in science that would just say these are sort of just these brute facts, right? That this is just the way things are. Well, nothing is just the way it is. See, this requires power to maintain. This requires enormity of will to maintain. God did that for us. He did it for God first, but He did it for us too. He puts us in a place where we can explore and be warned and take precautions and be students of creation. We have universe privilege. God shows us what He has done in remarkable detail in ways that promote our preservation. As God's elect people, we have the capacity to see trouble coming and to avoid it. 
Jesus tells us in Luke 21 how to recognize His coming. And that when certain things take place, look up because your redemption is drawing near. The regenerate mind, regenerate mind can see God's will and pursue it and to consider the spiritual impact of all other spiritual objects that occupy our spiritual orbit, so to speak. Meanwhile, the fool and the spiritual adulterer blindly go on like the ox slaughter. As much as we struggle with sins of various types and besetting issues and concerns, it behooves us to think about all the things that Christ is doing to keep us. Our culture has a fascination with solar eclipses. People travel long distances to see them. In August of 2017, my son traveled to St. Matthew's, South Carolina, and rented space on some remote farm, set up a tent overnight, so that he could be well positioned the next day to get the best observation of the solar eclipse. This is my same son who forsook atheism because he said that the beauty of nature makes no sense in an atheist worldview. Jesus did that. I believe our brother Mike Caprera traveled for several days out west for the same purpose. To get the best view possible of that solar eclipse. And people buy special glasses and make homemade solar eclipse viewers. And it's in the news for days. Wonders of nature like this have an interesting way of drawing people into community with others with whom they have nothing else in common. And I think that's a good thing for our world. It's like God puts on displays to give even lost people a reprieve from the effects of the fall. It tells me something about our Lord. Perhaps with what I've shared thus far, it comes as no surprise that, quote, Earth is the best place in the solar system to view a solar eclipse. The sun is 400 times farther than the moon, but also times larger. So in the sky, they look the same size. Besides their intrinsic beauty, perfect solar eclipses have played an important role in scientific discovery. They have helped reveal the nature of stars, provided a natural experiment for testing Einstein's, Einstein's general relativity theory, and allowed us to measure the slowdown of Earth's rotation. Much of that means very little to any of us, except the fact that we use a parachute when we jump out of an airplane. But without it, Without this, anyone with a smartphone or GPS, right, Google Maps and the Waze app, anyone that has those is a beneficiary of Einstein's general relativity theory. For without GPS, that would not be possible. An additional benefit of that, of course, is men don't have to stop and ask for directions. And, and women don't have to be annoyed because their husbands won't stop and ask for directions. So we could say that solar eclipses have been instrumental in promoting healthy marriages. God is good. We know that there are so-called natural disasters that take place on a planet on a consistent basis. And we're quite appropriately saddened by the loss of life and other difficult consequences. Poverty, the water, you know, all these horrible things that can accompany. Yet, it appears that these events also play an important role in our planet's overall health. Consider the difficulty of earthquakes. Quote, earthquakes destroy property and kill many people every year. Nevertheless, they benefit both our planet's habitability and scientific discovery. Without earthquakes, we probably wouldn't even be here 
And if somehow we were, we would know far less about Earth's interior structure. Without earthquakes, nutrients essential for life on the continents would erode and accumulate in the oceans. Isn't this a fascinating paradox? Or consider the terrors wrought by hurricanes. We've seen their effects here in the United States on people and in the body politic. Even so, quote, our present-day hurricanes provide some notable benefits. They counterbalance the ocean's tendency to leach carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. This leaching, if unchecked, would result in catastrophic cooling of the planet. They help disperse greenhouse gases globally. They help regulate the salinity of the oceans, the salt cycle, and the water cycle. These things are crucial to life on Earth. So even while we are on the cusp of Earth making yet another successful trip around the sun, we observe that the journey has not been without consequence, both for good and for bad, we would say. Now, in my mind, I hate to just leave that discussion hanging there. It seems so very implausible that the very thing which is so helpful is at once also so very devastating. Yet there is something we observe in the spiritual realm that holds the same truths. Paul said we must, through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. He also wrote Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Many of us have weathered spiritual earthquakes and hurricanes this year or in years past. Difficult things. And over the years, I've heard amazing statements from others that have suffered much. Several years ago, a dear sister with cancer, while in remission, told me she almost missed the cancer because she never felt so close to God than when she was in the throes of that awful illness. That's profound. That's not something you can experience until you're in it. I can't say, yeah, I relate to that. And neither can any of you, unless you've been there, unless you've experienced that. You've heard, though, you've likely heard others give glory to God despite such trials. Our Christ-centered life has, as one of its defining characteristics, suffering. Our spiritual trip around the sun is not without such events. James said, to count it all joy... When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. James 1, 2 to 3. Even our, even our Lord Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. If that makes no sense to you, it's because you haven't been downstairs to the teaching series in Hebrews. And I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to get it on tape. Like you, at times I have wondered why it takes events like this to produce such desirable traits. I mean, it won't be that way in glory, right? I mean, in glory, we're not going to need suffering to realize how great our God is. We also know that in Jesus, even with these difficulties, we are held together. See, the gates of hell do not prevail against the church. The church has been through much. It's going to go through much more. It has to go through much more. Which brings me to the final point of comparison between the cosmologic and spiritual trip around the sun. It has to do with other planets and Earth's one moon and the corollary we find in our faith. 
Quote, without a Jupiter-sized planet positioned just where it is, Earth would be struck about a thousand times more frequently than it already is by comets and comet debris. And some of those would be catastrophic. For the entire history of the cosmos, Jupiter has been such a shield to Earth as it orbits the sun, though it takes Jupiter 12 years to do so. If it took any longer period of time or any shorter period of time, more of these celestial objects would, would reach Earth. Saturn plays a similar role. And this about our moon. Quote, because the moon is so large relative to our planet, it, it exerts a significant, significant gravitational pull on Earth. Thanks to this pull, coastal seawaters are cleansed and the nutrients replenished. The moon stabilized the tilt of Earth's rotation axis, protecting the planet from life-extinguishing climatic extremes. The Lord Jesus Christ did that. It does that. This stuff goes on, and this is what I mean by... And this was my thought as I introduced the idea of people that are not recognized throughout the year. It doesn't take a lot. There's not a lot we have to do to look and see what it means that the Lord holds all things together in himself. As I ponder these things, this Jupiter protecting Earth and the moon benefiting it, I'm mindful of the held-together intercession of Christ. The Lord Jesus, by his death to sin, impacts the extent and danger of sin in the lives of his people. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He prayed that Peter would be saved despite Satan's desire to sift him. We have the shield of faith with which to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. We read in Genesis chapter 20 that King Abimelech was potentially in big trouble with God after taking uh, Abraham's wife. And in the dialogue, God says to Abimelech, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning. It's amazing. We sometimes may be inclined to think that we've overcome a particular sin by the exertion of our power and our will. God would look at us and say, it's me that kept you from sinning. Because it gives him such pleasure to do that. Over on the social website Twitter, John Piper recently was giving glory to God for 50 years of marriage to his wife, Noel. He wrote, quote, In 50 years of marriage, who but God can say how many angels were dispatched, devils defeated, snares foiled, and sins forgiven? Incalculable, the miracle of marriage. Think about that. Not just in your marriage, but in the rest of your life. How many fires has God put out in your marriage? In your relationships, parents to children and children to parents. In your relationships in the church. How many things has God done behind the scenes that we don't even recognize or give glory to God for? And it's, it's not to beat us up with that. We don't see it. We, but it does us good to help and to stop and ponder it. Neither you, you and I, we have no idea how many sins we've been forgiven of, I don't think. The unspiritual realm in which God protects us, uh, protects us as we orbit around His Son. How many devils were defeated in the course of our sanctification? Glory to God! To not give that smart mouth remark that you really want to give. To lose, the, even better, to lose the desire to win an argument. I don't know what that's like. To lose the desire 
to win the argument. Right? To, to not have it be a... Although there's, there's a part of me and there's a part of you that likes spiritual struggle, and we should. I think we should like that fight. I think we should like that fight. I think we should like to fight with our eyes not to give a lustful look, whether you're a man or a woman. I think that should be in a, a pleasurable fight. We should take a sense of God's pleasure in fighting that. We, could, we should take a sense of God's pleasure when we don't indulge the sinful nature, right? We should be excited about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ like we're putting on something that just makes it look spectacular because it gives glory to God because we look good in Christ. Right? People see Christ and you say, man, you look good in that outfit. You look good in Christ. It's in the character of God and in the good pleasure of God to do these things. In Jesus all things are held together. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. He alone is able to keep us from stumbling and present us blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. This is a weeping verse. If you meditated on it long enough, you'll be weeping because He's going to present us. He is able to. He is able to keep us from stumbling, and the the intimation is irreversibly away, and he is able to present us blameless. Who this morning could could stand up, and if you do this, if you can stand up this morning and say, I'm blameless, please do so. Because I just want to touch you. And then I want to run for cover. (laughs) Right? And present us blameless. Where? Before the presence of His glory. <laughs> Presented before the presence of His glory, blameless, and not only so, with great joy. Not fear and trembling. Not showing up before the presence of His glory like, you just got called in by mom and dad, am I going to get it? Or your boss or whoever. Or your wife or your husband says your name in a certain way, which usually means something not so good follows. But to stand before the presence of His glory with great joy? What a trip. Observe the connection the Lord Himself, in the event you think I'm nuts at this point, observe the connection the Lord Himself makes with His covenant and His sovereignty over the cosmos. There's a connection that God Himself makes about His sovereignty over our salvation, over our, our in Christness, and His sovereignty over the cosmos. The 31st chapter of Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars of light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is His name. If this fixed order departs before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me. And this is from... The 33rd chapter of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. You see, brothers and sisters, if it takes earth 367 days instead of 365 and a quarter days, then you can worry about losing your salvation. 
But as long as it only takes 365 and one quarter days for earth to go around the sun, that same God is holding you and I. I don't, it doesn't matter what you're struggling with. It doesn't matter what you think of or what you think of somebody else. This, we, this is the God with whom we're dealing. In Him all things are held together. Your trip around the sun is upheld by the power of the Lord. That same power that holds the earth in its orbit holds you in the clutches of His hand. Christ has defeated the singular thing that once stood in your way and in my way when He defeated death. Death cannot keep you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus died for sinners and was buried and was raised again three days later, nothing can separate you from that love if, by His grace, you are saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not death, not life, not angels or rulers, not things present or things future, nor no other power. Nothing else in all creation can separate us from that love of God the Father in Christ Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So, as we finish one trip around the sun and begin another, let me also give a warning for some that may need to hear it. For many years, Pluto was once considered one of the nine planets. It was in the same orbit, around the same sun. It was thought to have shared certain defining planetary attributes. But in the year 2006, it was discovered to be lacking in one critical attribute, which I won't pretend to be able to explain to you, and was thereby disqualified as a planet. You don't get more out of darkness than that. It recalls the parable of the wedding guest who showed up at the wedding but was discovered to not be wearing wedding clothes. I pray there be no Plutos among us this morning. You're in the same solar system, so to speak, as the genuine faithful, and yet you miss that one defining characteristic. You have not repented and trusted in Christ alone for your redemption. You are still a rebel. God commands you to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and His command is an expression of His love and an invitation to His joy. God's command to repent is, is an invitation. It's an expression of His love and an invitation to His joy. If you come to saving trust in the Lord, it will be because He commanded it. Don't be lost to the outer darkness. See Gary, see me, see Todd, see any number of mature brothers and sisters here to share your burden with. We will help you bear it to the Lord of glory. Let's pray. Thank you, O our Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. We implore your mercy for the lost, that none leave here a wandering star for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Lord, the God of this world has blinded them. Won't you cause them to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ for your name and glory's sake? And thank you for shining in the hearts of your children, giving us the light of your glory in the face of Christ Jesus. Amen.